When I was a kid, I read some pretty fantastic stories. The kind of tales where the hero would slay a dragon and meet magical creatures. In one scene, characters would wander through a garden, walking past some unassuming statues. You can tell what happened next. Those statues would spring to life. I knew it was all just make-believe, but I couldn't help but wonder, what if that could really happen? I guess I'm in luck. Because where we're headed today, there is extraordinary scenery and lore jumping straight from the pages of your favorite story. Things that need to be seen to be believed. Discover South Carolina presents The Palmetto Porch, a podcast featuring some of South Carolina's most charming towns and highlighting what makes them so special. I'm Devin Whitmire. All season long, I'll be traveling through the Palmetto State, interviewing locals who will share their own unique perspective on places to visit, foods to try, and insider travel tips. These towns may be small, but they are big on fun, food, and Southern hospitality. This episode lands us in lovely Greenwood. This vibrant town is home to one of the oldest festivals in the Palmetto State the South Carolina Festival of Flowers. Greenwood resident Elliser Holder has worked behind the scenes on the festival for some time, and she and I spoke about its history and its impact on her town. Well, Elliser, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to get to chat with you. I am honored and privileged, and there is nothing more I like to talk about than South Carolina and specifically Greenwood, South Carolina. Elliser became the executive director of the festival in 2011. She was one of the people that was tasked with revamping the event for a more contemporary audience. And then when I rolled off as executive director, I actually continue to handle their marketing. And to this day, I still do that. So we're heading into our 56 in 2023. That's amazing. Congratulations. What? It's one of South Carolina's longest running festivals, right? Yes. I mean, it's been around a long time and since 1968. And if you'd like a little bit of history for your horticultural type people, Park Seed Company is in Greenwood, and they were celebrating their 100th in 1968. So we started the South Carolina Festival of Flowers to coincide with that celebration because Park Seed is a seed company, a plant company, a flower company. And so they jumped on and they said, well, let's showcase Greenwood along with this Park Seed 100th celebration. And in 1968, we started in 2022. We just had our 55th and we're going into our 56th. How did you start working with the South Carolina Festival of Flowers? I actually had been the chair, the event chair for the ladies luncheon for three years because I knew the director And I was very involved in the community, and that's important. I do believe wherever you live, try to get involved in your community, find out what's going on. So I had become the event chair of the Ladies' Luncheon, which is an annual event as part of the Festival of Flowers. I did that for three years, and then when the executive director, Kay Self, rolled off, I just naturally thought that was a good fit for me, so I applied. And then in 2011, I became the executive director and ran it 
for four years for the South Carolina Festival of Flowers. During the festival, Uptown Greenwood becomes a bright, brilliant wonderland full of events and garden tours. And among those attractions stands the festival's signature, the topiaries. For our listeners, what is a topiary? What does it take to make these displays and and what materials are used? Okay. (laughs) Um, You're testing me, but that's okay because I do know. So (laughs) the topiaries are sculpted. The original ones from 2008, like the Gamecock and the Tiger, were made out of a special piping and wire and had to be welded and put together. There's a special soil that goes in and we plug it. So you have to create the sculpture with wiring and pipes, make it the shape of whatever you're making. Then you have to plug it and it's a special soil. And then you put the plantings in. So when it's time to plant, like traditionally in South Carolina in the spring, so they're ready by the the beginning of the summer And we have a whole staff that looks after these topiaries. It's year-round. We have a greenhouse. If anybody's ever in Greenwood and wants to see our greenhouse, especially before they come out, you just have to call the city of Greenwood, and we'll be glad to show you. So our horticultural staff of the city of Greenwood does the work year-round. Imagine living sculptures. They are large and made in intricate detail like different characters from a childhood fairy tale come alive. Some are fantastic, some are fun, and some are just plain funny. I can't begin to understand the making of something so painstakingly ornate. Elliser shared some more background on the displays. I do have a great story about the topiaries. I want to hear it. Our listeners want to hear it. Yeah, go ahead. So... A lot of people don't realize what our topiaries are, what they look like, how big they are, how small they are. They just hear the word topiary, and if they haven't looked us up or they haven't done any research, they're thinking, oh, some greenery. So there was a gentleman, Gene Hancock, who was a big Gamecock fan, and we had a Gamecock topiary. So when they first came out, he asked the sports director the people that were involved in football and basketball and the the sporting director part of hang on he asked the people in the sporting department of Carolina to come to Greenwood and see the Gamecock topiary so the story goes that they went of course we'll do it they they set an appointment they set in a time and a schedule and they were like well you know Gene Hancock he's a wonderful supporter we'll go support him and see the Gamecock and in their mind they were coming to see something that maybe was about 18 inches high and 14 inches wide and they thought they were just coming to see some nice little shrubbery cut to look like a Gamecock and when they pulled up and they saw our blazing red 17 foot high 14 feet, 15 feet wide Gamecock, huge flowering with begonias. They could not believe it. So that went viral. All that promotion, 
them coming to see it. So seeing the Gamecock and thinking, wow, we can't believe how big it is. And so people come to our town and they're amazed by our topiaries. We have a Lander Bearcat, which is our local university. We have a South Carolina Gamecock. We have a Clemson Tiger. We have a Citadel Bulldog. So people can go around the square and see these mascots as topiaries. But we also have a gorilla. We have a Jeep. We have a mermaid that is huge over a pond. We have alligators. The topiaries have become so beloved. And just this past year, for your listeners, we celebrated 15 years of having the topiaries. It was a, our anniversary celebration. And people came from all over because every year people cannot believe how big they are, how amazing they are, how green they are, and how they flower. And it's just something for everyone to see the whole family. I mean, it's truly amazing. So if people look up our topiaries, you've got to come see them in real life. It's just amazing. So you mentioned this team of horticulturalists. How many people does it take to make a topiary for the festival? To build it, it it takes a team of designers, a team with the welding and the wire. And on our horticultural staff, I believe there's two dedicated And then there's volunteers. Our master gardeners locally are very involved. So it can be up to maybe 20 to 30 people helping as they mature going into when we're going to put them on display. And we do a drum roll for them coming out of the greenhouse because that's amazing is to see them put on trucks and then brought to the square and put in place. And of course, they need irrigation. So when they're being set up by the fantastic City of Greenwood staff, it's something to behold. So we've started alerting people on social media and through the website that, hey, they're going out today. And I mean, people will step out and look to see, wow, here they come. There are now more than 40 topiaries on display during the Festival of Flowers. That's on top of everything else going on during the month-long celebration. We have had as many as 35 events, but The most beloved events that have been tradition, we have a 5K run that people come to, who runners, some of them are bikers who decide to run. We have a bike tour that a lot of cyclists from throughout the state join us for. We have a wine walk that is well attended and always sold out because you get to go into our local merchants and have a sip of wine and and some appetizers, and then you get to walk amongst the topiaries. So it's called our Topiaries and Tastings Wine Walk. People really love that because it's just full of life in Uptown Greenwood. And then we have art shows. We have art shows for juniors, young folks, and then more adult professional artists. That's something people can go to. Museum. We have, I know. See, there's so much I have to look back at it. Kid Fest. That's one of our biggest events. It's in our uptown market, and we have all kinds of activities and performers, and then dancers come for our Kid Fest. It's always on the Saturday morning of our main weekend, and almost everything is free. The 5K, the wine walk, and the bike tour, there is a registration fee, but a lot of our events like Kid Fest are free. So you can just come join us, walk around uptown and get to know Greenwood and just have a great family outing, whether it's all day Saturday, Friday, or coming on a Sunday. The festival has changed over the years, but according to Elliser, it's a process of mixing a little of the old and the new. 
how have you seen the festival grow over time? Every year we go to the table saying, what can we do different? How can we make it even more enjoyable? How can we change it up a little bit? So if people come back, it's not the same old, same old festival because 55 years is a long time. So we always try to inject something new into some of the events, whether it's the run or the wine walk. We had a beer garden this past year. We've only done that a couple of times. We had a garden symposium this past year where we had professional gardeners and horticulturists come and speak and share So we're always trying to adapt to what people want to see and know and what they want to do. And then, of course, families are always looking for things to do and to bring their kids and and to enjoy the beginning of summer. We start June 1st with the topiaries and then our big weekends, always the second weekend of June. So people are getting out of school and we just make it fun and family and come out and enjoy our community, but have a good time as well. Did you try to balance some elements of the festival's history with bringing it into the modern age? And if so, how did you do that? Certainly, we want to honor our history and we love where we came from. So we always make that a part of our festival through our museum, our museum also is another one that I didn't even mention yet, but they also always do an exhibit and they're always showing you like for our 50th, they showed what had happened with the festival throughout the years, memorabilia, what people found it in their homes and we asked them to share. So it's just honoring where we came from to the people. A lot of people are still around from the early years. There's a gentleman, Rupal Harley, who has been in Greenwood and a part of our festival since 1968. Oh, wow. He is with us today. He still has input. He's an amazing man. And he makes sure that we do honor where we came from and what we've been about and that we are about families. So it's just being reminded of of all that makes us great, but then going, okay, well, it's 2022 this year. What can we do different? How can we liven it up? Alistair says the Festival of Flowers tells the story of Greenwood. And it shows visitors what can be discovered just off the beaten path. Well, it highlights our uptown. So a lot of things happen in our uptown, but we are bigger than just the uptown. Of course, we have a county. We have areas outside of it, like our lake. So I think what the festival does, it just brings people to town to remind them that there are smaller communities outside of our big cities like Greenville or Columbia or Charleston. There are communities and towns that have a lot to offer that can showcase what they're about. And I think that's special about a state like South Carolina because I know when I drive around back roads, I become amazed at what I see. So Greenwood is just such a part of the Festival of Flowers. Festival of Flowers is such a part of Greenwood because we're showcasing and highlighting the best of both. When Alistair mentioned a lake, she meant Lake Greenwood, a short drive up into an area known as 96. I sat down with Bayette Yenny at Lake Greenwood State Park to learn more. She's the park manager and South Carolina State Parks hold a special place in her heart. Fayette, welcome to the Palmetto Porch. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Where are you from originally? I'm originally from Pennsylvania. My whole family 
other than my mother, my brother, and myself, lives in South Carolina, and they are from the Ellery and Santee area, part of the Low Country. But my mother moved up to Pennsylvania for her job, and as soon as I was old enough to move to South Carolina, I came on back to South Carolina. I spent every summer here, every vacation here, so this has always been like a second home to me. Do you have any memories of South Carolina State Parks from your childhood that you might want to share with us? I actually do. We used to camp a whole lot uh, at Santee State Park. And we also would use the cabins for family vacations. Even though a lot of my family lived in South Carolina already, we still kind of camped and vacationed in various different parks. I can remember my pop-up taking me fishing at Santee State Park, and we would have big fish fries after we caught a zillion fish. (laughs) And that was all from Santee State Park. I love that. So when did your interest in the park system start? Well, I actually went to school to be a teacher, and I quickly found out that I could not be confined to a classroom. I was probably daydreaming out of the window more than the kids were, and that's not necessarily a good thing. (laughs) And so I started an internship at Santee State Park as the summer naturalist and interpreter doing programs for adults and children. And this is very much like education. I got to be outside while I taught people interesting facts about the natural and cultural history of South Carolina. And it just clicked that I wanted to be a park ranger and I wanted to do this always. So I just kind of fell into it as part of a summer job and kind of never left. Listening to Fayette run through everything going on at Lake Greenwood, it sounds like those looking to get outside have plenty of options. How large is the lake and how large is Lake Greenwood State Park? Well, Lake Greenwood State Park is 914 acres. We have five separate peninsulas at Lake Greenwood State Park, and there's something different on each from picnic shelters to campgrounds to fishing piers. We do have playgrounds out here at the park. So, you know, it's it's a pretty good area that stretches. We have six miles of nature trails and they can do a short little loop trail that's a little bit over a mile or they can extend that to a full six mile hike that would take most of the day. Some of our trails hug the shoreline and we have other trails that kind of meander through the forest and they can take that woodland trail and do that. Do you have a favorite attraction at Lake Greenwood, something specific about your park that you love to share with visitors? I think the most favorite thing that I would like to share with visitors about Lake Greenwood State Park, we are one of the original Civilian Conservation Corps parks that was built by the CCC in the 1930s. And the CCC was a program that was implemented by Roosevelt to get Americans back to work. And They were hard at work, working on this rock wall that we have up front, and the CCC put a rock wall where things were important. This was a way to say, here is something important. And so they often put them at the beginning of state parks to mark where they were. So the reason that it's unfinished is in 1941, on December 7th, Pearl Harbor happened. The CCC enrollees were busy at work building the rock wall and Pearl Harbor got bombed. And so the very next day when word reached the camps, work just stopped. They put down their shovels. Nobody could believe what happened. So work just basically stopped. And pretty much overnight, all of the enrollees in the Civilian Conservation Corps enlisted in the U.S. Army. So our rock wall is unfinished up there. And that's probably one of the most commonly asked questions that I get on the park is, you know, what happened to that wall? Did somebody hit it with a car or why did y'all not finish that? And we did this on purpose to interpret that history. Now, if you look behind this rock entrance wall, there's a bunch of uncut rough stones that are big, solid pieces of granite 
that are just kind of peppered and laying in the woods. And this was the materials that the CCC was going to use to finish that wall, and they lay exactly where the CCC put them. And we do have an interpretive sign up there so people could read why the rock wall is unfinished and also why those rocks are just kind of laying in the woods. When you tell that story, how does that make you feel that this is the park where you work and and this piece of history that you probably see every day? Well, it makes me feel like this park is important and it's an important piece of history and that it really matters. It really does matter to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, last year, the day after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, we had a program here at Lake Greenwood State Park. And basically, we interpret that history of the rock wall. And it was the day after Pearl Harbor, because that's the day the work stopped. But it was kind of like a Pearl Harbor program. And it's that connection to history. It's that connection that you can put your eyes on. You can read about how all work stopped in a history book, but when you actually see it, that puts so much emphasis on it. And I also get to live in a house that was built by the Civilian Conservation Corps. I've lived in one for many years, and it's just so neat to see their craftsmanship and their workmanship. You know, there's a couple of fireplaces in there that were hand-carved and mantles and original hardwood floors, and it's just so neat to actually live that history and not just see it. Those wanting to learn more about the Civilian Conservation Corps can visit a museum on site. It's full of exhibits and images detailing their distinct history. Lake Greenwood is a place that does a lot to help kids get up and outside. I wanted to hear from Fayette how important that is to her. What is a real highlight of the outdoor experiences that people can have when they visit Lake Greenwood State Park? Well, when you get here, there's a multitude of things to do outdoors. And some of the most popular activities at Lake Greenwood State and Park are camping, boating, fishing, swimming, picnicking, and certainly hiking one of our nature trails. We get a lot of folks that come out there to do those things, and they absolutely love that. How important is getting outdoors for you personally? Well, I think outdoors is very important to everyone, not just myself. Studies show that being in the outdoors is important to mental health, especially during the COVID years. You know, people had nowhere else to go and parks remained open for people to be in the outdoors so that they could safely enjoy being outside. And I think that made a big difference in mental health. It's very good for fitness. It's very good for the soul. It's just a beautiful place with lots of things to do. And just being outdoors is wonderful. How important is it to get the newer generations outside to enjoy our nature here in South Carolina? I think it's very important to get the youth vested in the outdoors for several reasons. If we don't get them to see the importance of being outdoors and the importance of having these places, then we simply won't have them in the future. We need to get them out here to advocate for parks and advocate for outdoor places so that they're there for the next generation. And if we don't get them out in it and get them to see the importance in it, Again, it just it won't be there for future generations to enjoy. Plus, I think it's instrumental in their health. It's good for their fitness levels. It's good for their mental health. I mean, I think it's important for everyone to come out and really getting the youth vested is going to be important in keeping our parks and places open in the future. As a park manager, do you have any pointers for parents on how to do that and how to get their kids excited about being outside? Well, I think first and foremost, it's important for the parents to be excited about getting outdoors. 
a lot of kids mimic what they see their parents doing. So if they see their parents on their phones, they're going to be on their phones. So if they make it a priority to get outdoors and to show them these places, I think that's going to be very important in kids wanting to do those things. And plus, if you don't introduce them to the outdoors, then they're not going to know about it. While lockdowns were in place, state parks, like Lake Greenwood, increased in popularity. I asked Fayette about how the park system is handling the demand. How have the parks adapted to this increase in visitors? Well, there's a multitude of things that we did. We kind of extended some of the hours that we are open to help accommodate Um, In the thick of the pandemic, we actually, in other parks, experienced this too. You know, there's a multitude of people coming in, and some parks have actually had to limit the number of people that are coming into our parks because there was too many people coming in. And you have to find that happy balance of managing your resource with managing customers coming in and visitors. And so there's some parks that we actually had to limit the number of people coming in the parks because there were so many extra people coming out. Did you find in this influx of visitors, of new people exploring the parks, were a lot of those people from the Greenwood community? Do you feel like the community got more involved with your park during this time? I absolutely do. Because of our location, we do get a lot of local guests. And most of the people that come to Lake Greenwood, especially for daily use, come from Greenwood County, Lawrence County, Edgewood County, Abbeville County, McCormick County, a lot of the surrounding counties. We did see an uptick of people coming from other places like the coast or the mountains and coming from a little bit further. So we did see an influx of those people who have never been here before. And we also saw people from different states, especially during the pandemic. Not all states were quite as open as our parks were. And so we did see that influx of those people and introduced the parks to new guests from other states. What is some need-to-know information for visitors coming to Lake Greenwood State Park? Where, What should they check or prepare when they come to visit you guys? Well, it really depends on the time of year that you're coming. But the first thing that you probably want to do is, no matter what time of year, is make sure that you have enough water. While you're here, you're out, you're physical, you're walking a lot. It's very easy to become dehydrated, even when it's not hot. So bringing things like water and realizing this is an outdoor setting, So it's probably, even when it's cold out, to bring some bug spray. It's always a good thing to have and always to check with the office for things to do or things that are going on in that particular week is a good thing to do. We can point you in the right direction based on what your likes and your needs are. And just to realize that we are sharing this space with wildlife and we do have a multitude of wildlife on the park uh, and to respect that and to respect the natural and cultural history that's here. There's something for everyone to enjoy at Lake Greenwood State Park for adults, kids, nature lovers, and even history buffs. Fayette says preserving parks like Lake Greenwood is important for visitors both today and in the years to come. the biggest challenges for Lake Greenwood State Park is because we are a CCC state park and we're one of the older state parks. Maintaining facilities and keeping that integrity of our facilities is of utmost importance. When we fix up a CCC building, we want to make sure we go with things that are as original as possible so that people can come and experience 
the CCC and the type of structures that they had. So because our park is so old, you know, it does require a lot of upkeep and it's probably one of the biggest challenges, but we do a lot of preventative maintenance here at Lake Greenwood. We inspect our structures, figure out ways to improve our structures just to make sure that they're there for those future generations. State parks and horticulture. Those are traditions that have existed for many years in Greenwood. There's a saying, everything old can be made new again. Every story can be told in a new voice. After hearing from Elliser and Fayette, I think it's possible to preserve what makes a town unique while re-envisioning it again and again for different audiences. Festivals and museums are their own type of storytelling. It's a way to pass on customs and ideas, but they allow for people to use their own creativity, their own imagination to celebrate history. And for visitors looking to take in some one-of-a-kind sights, all of this can make a trip to Greenwood a bloomin' good time. That's it for this episode of The Palmetto Porch. Thank you to our guests, Elisir Holder and Fayette Yenny. If you like what you heard, share it with a friend or leave a review on your platform of choice. It really helps us to get the word out. And to find out more about Greenwood or any of the towns featured on our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. The Palmetto Porch is produced by Discover South Carolina in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team at Pod People, Ashton Carter, Michael Aquino, and Kim Wong. Thanks so much for joining us, y'all. We'll see you next time on the Palmetto Porch. Mm-hmm.